Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Adulting Well listeners. This is Pepper, a.k.a. Joshua, a.k.a. Pepper, here to tell you about Anchor. So we used to host our podcast on another service, and we had this show for maybe three or four years at this point. And we got some metrics and things, but we didn't have a lot to do with them. And we recently switched over to Anchor. And what's amazing about it is it has all the metrics for the show, so you can see you know, how many downloads you get and things like that. But it it also lets you engage with the audience uh, in ways that our old service couldn't. So for instance, we can have polls, we can ask listeners to uh, leave us messages and questions and things like that. And we can uh, put them on the air super easily and answer those questions. Just, uh, that's just one example, but there are just a lot of different ways that we can um, engage with you now that we're using Anchor. So uh, This is our first ad, and it's for this service that we're using to provide this podcast to you. And I think it's uh, actually a really, really good service. Um, And if you have a podcast, I recommend it. You can download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Uh, Thanks for uh, pausing with me for a second. Now back to the episode. The earbud sitch. Whoa, what, how so did sorry. you do that? Because so <laughs> we have this new software we're using. It's the second time, and it has it has that. And I can do it that. So good. Oh, my God. That's awesome. I need to get, like, a thing that I can push that says, that has, like, clapping noises or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be Yours amazing. for, like, Matt, if you get, like, real dramatic, we'll start playing this. And you'll be, like, I feel Dude, like what you're saying, man. that I sounds like, like a Phil Collins song. Was that a hard time for you, man? <laughs> how can you just let me walk away? <laughs> Just let me live without a trace. Uh, Should we just kick it off, Kev? Yep. Yeah, let's roll. All right. You're already rolling, but let's roll, roll. Hello and welcome to the Adulting Well Podcast. I am your co-host, Joshua, and I am joined, of course, as always, by your co-host, Kevin. And um, we have a very special guest today, Matt Nathanson, singer, songwriter, all-around yeah. great guy, which I have a bunch of stories about, but we'll save that for later. And, oh, my um, God. Don't I'm super, super, <laughs> I'm super excited to have him on the show. Um, for those that don't know him, that listen, um, Matt is a uh, very prolific singer-songwriter. He has, I, think, I believe, 13 full lengths now. Is that – am I wrong? In yeah, that, that sounds right. There's just some, you know, like EPs in there and stuff. But, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of – It's a lot a, of records. A lot of stuff. And, I had the pleasure of meeting Matt through one of my oldest and dearest, Mr. Paul Thomas, sound man extraordinaire. Oh, the best. And uh, have been lucky enough to 
count Matt as a client at one point, but moreover over the years, just a friend who we exchange witty text messages and other fun stuff. Um, but uh, Matt, you've been you've been playing a music playing music an incredibly long time, and yeah, you you grew up in Massachusetts. And um, what kind of kid were you? Yeah, tell tell us at, about Matt Nathanson as a kid. I yeah. was a heavy set young man who was every girl's best friend, and I didn't really like that. I was sort of like, um, yeah, I was just the character in the John Hughes movies if they were fat. Did you feel like, that though? Ducky. I mean, it, oh, did I record, feel that? Like, I was like, that was like a suit of armor that I wore to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> like it, it sunk me as a, uh, yeah, I was just, it's funny because, uh, yeah, I was just always, uh, I was never really part of any groups, even though I hung with yeah. different groups. And yeah. um, I was kind of, I was, I kind of hopped around between social uh social groups and then i was like yeah and then i just sort of was like tormented for most of my young my young life it's fun Fun. (laughs) (laughs) well but i mean your your musical tastes are incredibly diverse so that is a huge plus for your song when did music happen for you oh man always so in third grade i convinced uh, the student teacher the way that it worked in the lexington public schools and probably in a lot of schools but there was a teacher that would be in the teaching college that would um, be assigned to certain classes. So you'd have your normal teacher. I had Miss Sella. And then we had this um, student teacher who was like 20 or 21. And I overheard the student teacher who I kind of had a crush on talking to another student teacher about the Jay Giles concert that was happening at the Boston Garden. And in Boston, you have sort of like the Holy Trinity. If you like rock music, it was like Boston, Boston, right? Obviously Aerosmith, (laughs) <laughs> and the and Jay Giles and those were like the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. And uh, I heard her talking about it, and I convinced her when I was in third grade. I convinced this like young adult human to take me with her on her extra ticket. Um, so I went to the Boston Garden, got my mom's permission. She dropped me off at the teaching college, and I drove with her and a bunch of her friends. Saw the Jay Giles concert, Whoa. and that was kind of the beginning of it. But it's funny. I was talking to somebody about music you know how like a lot of times in in punk punk rock or whatever it's like the community that brings people into the music it's like if the music might get you there but the community is what kind of keeps you there yeah i'm not i am just not a community human so for me i just didn't ever want to share music with other like i never wanted to like go to a show with people and like connect like it's just never been my thing, uh, which is actually funny that it that sounds like more of a punk ethos than actually punk turns out being. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like an individual yeah, on yeah. shows alone. Yeah, it's pretty. It's yeah, and so like I would I'd go to shows and music is just my god. That's just it, you know. Like it really is the only thing that I care about. Uh, recent, you know, in the like the last however many decade plus, I think I finally figured out how to be married to somebody and be in that team. And then I had a kid and I realized that team. So, but other, but before that, and even during that, uh, I'm just not a big togetherness person. Um, but the irony is, is that I think I, I always joke that, uh, you have to, you have to believe in people. You just can't count on them. And so I've sort of like really leaned hard into that as I get older with this idea that like, 
What does that mean? We just, we need each other and you got to sort of hope and have faith that the best will emerge, but you can't count on anybody to do the right thing because they just won't most of the time. That's interesting because like, I have similar stuff around other people and, and, uh, and, and for me, when, when people will describe these kind of like socialist uh, environments or countries where everybody's just, I pictured everybody in festivals all the time for some reason. It's just kind of like a nightmare. <laughs> and uh, with the virus that's happening since we're all in lockdown here, uh, all of our neighbors started coming out on the porch like every other night. And, and one person has a loudspeaker and plays music. And we all like sing and dance and joke and all this stuff from our porches. Yeah. And I kind of get it. You know what I mean? Like oh, I kind of get like, oh, these people are taking care of each other, you know? Well, and that's the thing. I think we have to take care of each other. I just, you, I can't ask too much of, you can't ask too much of your resources. It's sort of like, I joke that you can't ask the cow to drive you to Los Angeles and you can't milk the Buick. <laughs> it's like, you got to kind of let everybody be who they are. And most people at varying stages of the day or in their lives are taxed in ways that they're not capable of really being givers. Yeah. yeah and so, you know, we have this thing in our backyards, all our backyards are connected. So, um, our neighbors, we all have kids at the same age here in San Francisco and everybody's yard is connected and we do things together and stuff like that. But I'm kind of the least together of any of us. And I, but I think it's amazing that we have it. And I'll say to my wife, like, how rad is it that we have this community? <laughs> totally. you know? And then I'm like, but I never go, <laughs> you know, I'll be like, Hey, maybe we should do this. And then I'll go like one out of every 10 times. And, and, so and yeah. And the people are, are great. And it's like, yeah, man, humans are beautiful and amazing. And togetherness is so much, uh, it's the only way to go. But that being said, I have, su- I have such a high benchmark that I have to kind of figure out for myself about how people should act. It's like a, it's sort of like a learning disability for me that like humans should do the right thing. My moral compass, what I believe. And you mean like a righteous kind of attitude? Like, I yeah, know yeah. Well, it's yeah. not, it, I, it's funny. It doesn't manifest itself like that. Like I don't stand around and be like, I can't believe, but in, in, but it really is fundamentally that it's that I think, I think there's a way that people should act and it, and it's the way that I hold myself to that. And that's not cool to do to yourself. And it's certainly not cool to do to other people because everybody's, you know, got their own, everybody's carrying their own shit. It's kind of that, that standing by and watching quietly judging. Yeah. Um, yeah, It's just like quietly knowing that they're not quite doing it the right way. Yeah. It's, it's like if the Buddhist, the idea of the suffering, right. It's like, disappointment in others for things that they don't even know you're asking of them is like pretty much right up there high on the list of like how, how to suffer. Yeah, <laughs> and totally. so it's like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the king of that particular, uh, carrying that particular backpack full of bricks. That's like my thing. You're yeah. my wife. Oh, awesome. <laughs> describing like my life. <laughs> Matt, when was the first time you shared a song you wrote with someone else? I think I played, um, a song from my dad when I was a kid, real young, we had a house in New Hampshire, like a cottage. And I played him one of my songs that one of the first songs I ever wrote, that, that might've been the first one. And it was a terrible song about, uh, it was like modeled after Bye Bye Miss American Pie. And it was about like all the great, <laughs> all, the great all the great musicians who died. And that like the, the chorus hook was he took them before their time, right? Which is just awful on mm-hmm. every level. But 
I was it 14 minutes long? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was like, it was epic. <laughs> it was just, it was me rambling in different time signatures over the, no, it, it had a, it was like, you know, kind of pop format thing, but I remember playing it for my dad and my dad at that time and still is a fairly literal human and he mm-hmm. takes things sort of, so the, he just, I remember him saying, who's he? You know, and I was like, oh, oh, Jesus, you know, and it's like and then I don't think I ever played anything for any of my my family after that. But, you know, and not not my dad, you know, my dad is 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 great. But like in that particular situation, he's a very literal like. And so that was that was the first time I ever played that in my memory. played. Do you remember the first time someone liked what they heard? Oh, God, I don't. That's probably. part. Oh, no, wait. I wrote a song in fifth grade that we played at a talent show, maybe sixth grade. And uh, I remember the head mat. I went to a boarding school from the time I was like nine. And uh, then the headmaster's assistant loved this song we wrote. And uh, she was like, it was, you know, suburban Boston. She's like, Amazing. We, we gotta get Billy Joel to play this one. <laughs> yeah, you know, like that kind of stuff. This is all this fucking this tune's great. And so uh yeah, that was the first time I remember somebody being like, Yeah, what you did is is worth it. That's a very Massachusetts sounding uh response as well. Uh, yeah, it was great. Billy Joel. Billy Joel should fucking do oh my god, it's so good. <laughs> so what let me ask you a a, a direct band question. When did you discover and fall in love with Def Leppard? Because that uh, is a huge thing for you. Dude. As I know, I've seen you play their songs. I've heard you record their songs. Yeah. Um, and the first, yeah, the, the arc of the first four Def Leppard records are to me, the sort of <laughs> the, the most, the ultimate sort of like evolution of a band that, it, and it's kind of like, and the, and the records since have had real moments of, for me, real moments that have really worked. But in terms of an arc, like on through the night, high and dry, pyromania, hysteria. It was like, I mean, it's sort of like bands that we love to have similar arcs, but Def Leppard did it real quick and real, real effectively. So right. for me, I just, as a kid, I just thought they were the cool, I just thought it was the cool. I don't know what it was because it wasn't, it was before it was pre lyrical, lyrical driven stuff for me. There was like a thing that happened after my love of metal or during my love of metal where I started to like, like Suzanne Vega and mm-hmm. Sinead O'Connor. There was like a lyrical thing that happened. But before that, it was just, I guess it was just the power of it. And Def Leppard really were the ultimate. I just thought Pyromania was so good and high and dry. I just kept digging in and and yeah. uh, they were, yeah. And I remember dressing like Joe. I got a really oh, nice email. God. I become friendly with them, with Joe and, right. and Rick, Rick Savage and stuff. And I got a really nice email on my birthday from Joe Elliott. And I said to my wife, I was like, Dude, isn't it crazy that the man who I used to dress up as, like sausaging myself into my mother's leather pants and like sweating my way through like a lip sync thing in her bedroom is like emailing me being like, I hope you're great in the zombie apocalypse sending you love. I was like, that is just great. Like, oh my God. That is that leopard sounds perfect live in a way that's weird. They're so good live. Dude, there's all of them sing, which is like huge. All of them. Is that what it is? Is this the the harmonies or just like the the harmonies are thick, so there's like a real and they're just precise because the drum hits are all precise because they're not because it's an electric kit, you know, electronic Mm -hmm. kit. And so really the only things that are that have room for nuance are the guitars and the bass and Joe singing and like and Phil and they're so precise. All of them are precise. It's like watching a, a a ballet 
it's crazy yeah how how perfect they sound it's funny last year i was at the rock and roll hall of fame i go every year to the rock and roll hall of fame induction like all the rehearsals and stuff and i nerd out and i cry at the altar of the greatness of music and mm-hmm. and uh there was this moment that night where def leppard played and the cure played and both bands are magical but in completely different ways and it was it was wild to watch like two completely separate not only separate like the goth sort of alternative thing in the metal pop thing but like it and both of them were equally as moving it was rad the cure just kind of owned it they came out and played shake dog shake and then they did a forest and they did and they just sort of like swept over everything and it felt like one big emotional upheaval and then def leppard came out and just executed on these songs in the way that you were forced it was like it was like getting hit by a wave you couldn't mm-hmm. you, like it was impossible to stay on your board and be like and have composure because they were playing great songs and they did it so well so it's like all that stuff is yeah i, I recently dug deep into the cure like uh oh. youtube rabbit hole dude Robert and Smith. some of those early performances that were like on top of the pops and you know john peel's show are just like i'm like I'm like, how in the world at that age were they writing dude, these songs? And they were it's dude, this is the best part about the cure. It was all fucking Robert Smith, except that it was all his buddies. They're they were all buddies from like high school. Yeah. And boarding or day school or whatever. And it's like, but Robert Smith as the engine, I mean, Simon Gallup's great. I, there's the individual pieces are amazing. Although you could argue that Lowell Tolhurst doesn't really know what he's doing, but but um but like as a <laughs> as an entity. The Cure was this amazing thing where they would swap out players occasionally. Simon has pretty much been the guy. And then um, Toll, is that what, the guitar player who's not in the band anymore, who's now a, a woman. Um, yeah. uh, 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 the name is escaping me. But, and, but all of them, it, it was just like this incredible thing where there was such a consistency and a, that music is beamed in from another planet. It's it is. I mean, I, I like I I went way back, like looked at like the really early, the first like known videos of them playing these songs, and I was like, God damn! Like, how in the world are they? And they sound as good now as they did then, or uh, vice versa. Like, it's incredible. Those hooks, those hooks were just incredible. Oh, dude, in his voice, he could sing you fucking the ingredients to cereal, yeah. and you'd yeah, be yeah. like, trans. It's transfixing how good he is, and he's just a genius. I mean, like. He really is up there with Prince, in my opinion, for somebody who, or Joni Mitchell or whoever, Dylan. But it's like, there are just so many consistent jewels of greatness in the catalog that that it's definitely not like a, like, oh, they stumbled on these two or these three. It's like, oh, there's fucking 23 amazing songs that you'd kill to write. Love Cats. I mean, which just feels like an thrown off thing. Ugh. That song was amazing. God, well, I, I saw them back in the late eighties and outside of Detroit when I was briefly living there. And it was, it was just an, like a completely epic otherworldly experience. They were on that like crazy, like did tour kiss- with, with Depeche mode and all those other bands that they did at one point. Wow. It was like the early version of the festivals. Yeah. 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 And they were, they were so much better at their instruments and the execution than everybody else on that bill. It was, it was like almost like a joke watching everybody else. There were all the bands were good. Don't get me wrong, but the cure was just otherworldly. And Robert Smith was such a fuck up at the time. Oh, I mean, he, after the show, he's like grabbing people's drinks from their hands. Yeah. I, think, know? I think it's like, he's definitely the thing that keeps him being as compelling as he is, is I think that he is, 
not particularly, he hasn't quite figured it out in that way, which is kind of how it always seems to work. It's like the reason that certain musicians are still so, it's still so obvious that, that it, that they move you is because they're still working things through. And Pete Townsend did that for a long time for me. Like I'm a huge who fan. And then Pete Townsend continued to be so unsatisfied and the music continued to be vibrant. Even if I didn't dig it, Lou Reed could do the same thing, you know, uh, whereas certain bands kind of figure it out and then you kind of, it's like, Oh, okay. That's that, that was fun. Like it's not that fun anymore. (laughs) Totally. So what, what, and talking about that, how do like, what's your approach to songwriting? I mean, you've been doing this, you know, most of your, pretty much all your adult life, but most of your life and you, you continue to be prolific and, and put out, you know, record after record. And I know you're working on one right now because we chatted the other day, but like, what's the, like, what's the thing that keeps you motivated doing this? Oh, just because music is so great. It's such a gift to be able to do it. And that sounds super hippie, but it's like, like today, I think I figured out the, I'm one song away lyrically from finishing the new record, like getting all the lyrics in line. Cool. And, uh, and I had been wrestling with this song and man, I got the chorus and I was trying to make the verses work. And I had this moment in my room today where I think I solved the first line and it was, and I went upstairs and I was like euphoric. I felt like someone had lifted a weight off my whole body. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah. like, cause that's, it's just it. It's like, you get the, you get to do this for a living, but really I'd do it if I didn't. And it's like, if I didn't get to do it for a living, you know, and it's like, it's a, such a privilege that you just want to, I mean, you have songs like love cats in the world. You have pour some sugar on me. You have, you know, uh, I mean, there's so, it's it just, it's endless. I'm a- endlessly blown away by songs that I sort of feel like that I have to do it justice if I'm allowed to even dip my toe in the lake. Right. Well, and, and how, how's it working right now collaborating with Aaron being, you know, uh, sheltered in place? Yeah. So the good news is most of the record was written before we did this. And then I was down in Los Angeles working with this guy, Butch Walker, who's my buddy and, and we kind of got a lot of it tracked before everything shut down. And so I've just been kind of going back and forth with him. So we were fortunate enough to get, you know, two and a half weeks into the process. Um, And now it's just kind of like trying to finish ideas and then sing stuff that didn't get sung um, down there. So it makes it so easy now, you know, the way that technology works as this is so much easier. I could easily walk down the street to you, you know, if we weren't on lockdown. Um, yeah. but it's so rad just to be able to connect through technology. So it's pretty easy, it's, it's pretty, pretty easy to do. It's pretty, pretty amazing. So you, so you started getting people interested in your music, you know, were you, did you play in bands before you were doing, you know, doing basically what you're, you're doing now? What was the, what was the sort of the, the evolution of, of your, your experience in in music. Cause this really is, I mean, it's your life. You, this is what you yeah. do. Yeah. I had bands in, you know, school. And then I realized this is part of the, not into the togetherness thing. I realized that like, I'm not into democracy and I'm certainly not into <laughs> like in a band situation. And I'm certainly not into like waiting around while the drummer fucks off and doesn't come to rehearsal. So, so I just decided I'm just going to do this all myself, kind of inspired by the Indigo girls actually. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the, I just thought they were so, they were such a weird wild combination for me of like beautiful and and 
punky and sort of, and I know it's strange to say, but like they were a bar band and they came out and they just played these guitars and it felt like what you do around a campfire, except it was inspiring these big groups of people. And so I was like, oh man, I don't need anybody, you know? And that was like, that rang my bell as a narcissist. I was like, I don't need anybody. I can do this. (laughs) And so, uh, so I just started making records and playing by myself and, uh, and then put out my first record in college, ran an open mic in college, a lot of great, I was in Claremont, which is East of Los Angeles. Yep. And there was like, uh, John Darniel was my classmate. Uh, he's in a band called the mountain goats. And so, Mm -hmm. so John and I, John actually came straight from work one night and played my open mic. And I said, he always says, the mountain goats wouldn't exist if I hadn't been there. Cause I just, I cried. It was so good. And I was like, you have to come back next week. And every week he would write a song just to come back to my open mic. And we shit, we were in the English literature program. So we were in all our classes together. Yeah. And it was like him. And then Jonah Matranga, who's in a, it was in a band called far. Yep. And uh, so Jonah was there, this guy, uh, well, Ben Harper, Tom Freund, <laughs> David huh. Lindley lived in town. That's quite a crew. It was a wacko time because like, Coming from suburban Massachusetts and New Hampshire, like rural New Hampshire, all of a sudden I went and my mind was like blown open. Like it wasn't just metal and female singer songwriters anymore. It was like, it was everything like bad brains. And I remember HR, I mean, and we were so close to Los Angeles that we would get people coming and playing like Tool or Soundgarden came from Seattle before any of these people were big. Rage Against the Machine played in my mail room. Like Whoa. this was for real, like their like probably their fourth or fifth show ever. Crazy. And I was one of the only people from college that went. It was all high school kids who liked whatever lock up or whatever the right. bands were prior to that. And it was just like I was constantly seeing shows. I was driving into Los Angeles. I was interning at labels and publishing companies because I wanted to learn all about it. And uh I'm burping. Fine. And uh we can handle it. Edit that. But so and but it was like I was just immersed in it. And then I graduated, moved to San Francisco, put out more records by myself, had a day job, but would tour and do kind of regional things where I'd go to like Boston, New York, Philly and play coffee shops and then come home. And so like I you'd just, stay there for a few days and play a few places. Or? Yeah. I'd leave on like a Thursday. I had a job that I did. That's what like stand up comics do. It sounds a lot like a stand up comedy. Yeah. It was super. Yes. It was super stand up comedy. I'd have my day job that didn't take much effort and I would spend most of my time writing songs or cultivating my mailing list or that kind of thing. And then I would fly, you know, to Boston or where there or Utah. I had a huge, people would like send my CD around. And then they'd say, you got to come to my school. Everybody loves your record. And I'd go and I'd play in their living room to like 20 people. And then there might be, you know, at best it would get to be like a thousand people in their auditorium or whatever. And it was like, just kind of built it like that. And then I went on tour. I, I stopped working. I signed a publishing deal, like the worst financial decision of my life, but the best decision decision of my life because it facilitated all the rest of it. But it allowed me to not work. And then when I didn't work, I went on tour with like Marty Wilson Piper from the church and John Doe I toured the country awesome. with John a couple of times. And these were people who like, obviously opening for John Doe, my like man folk music, that is like definitely a, it's like, that's not a particularly good match. And it was like, 
but I did it because I was like, I'm going to win these yeah. people over. And you'd sell like six CDs or, you know, whatever at best. Yeah. And then, well, and then I did I mean, a show. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, but you know, I've, I've seen you more times than I could probably count, honestly. And every time you're in San Francisco, big show, small show, benefit show, it doesn't matter. And I tell people this all the time, you know, and it's like, cause I've had people even ask like, wow, it's kind of interesting that you like Matt's music, given your history and the fact that you mostly listen to harder music. And I'm like, it, his shows are kind of transcendent. Like it's, it, it does, it's not about the style of music. It's, it's for me, it's delivery, sincerity, and then the fucking banter between songs. You know, like really, it's just an enjoyable experience. You know, that's nice. That's awesome. Yeah, well, it's my... hard. It's hard to explain that to people because you get so stuck in these. Like, and it's interesting you play with John Doe because he's another one of my favorite live performers. I, I really enjoy seeing X. I really enjoy seeing him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. his other bands play. I've um, never seen you play, Matt, but I love that. I know, like Tom Waits. When you go see Tom Waits, it's almost like a stand-up comedy show in addition to a music show, just because his banter is so good. Oh, that's right. I mean, yeah, Tom Waits is a, is masterful. It, I always, for me, it was the folk thing was just so yeah. important because it's like when you, if you tell a story, I would see these folk artists and they would tell a story and it would add this weight and heft to the song they were going to play. And even if the song they were going to play, like if you didn't, if the song wasn't even strong, if the story was strong before the song, the song took on a, a set, a, like a new, it blossomed in this way. And so I always felt like, oh man, if I can, if I can do that, that's the win. If I can try and write great songs, but if I fail to do that, if I can set them up in a way that gives them the depth that maybe they don't have as songs. And then if they do have that depth and I set them up, it's going to be a home run. It just sort of felt like the the way to do it. It's like, and that's the irony of my my desire to not connect with people. I think I like to connect with people, but on my own terms. Yeah. And so th that's really a way to connect. Sort of like, yeah, I'm a control oriented motherfucker. Well, you know. But you do a great job of it live, and it's interesting that you mentioned uh, the mountain goats because I, I didn't actually know that connection, but I used to connect you to mostly because of the live show situation. Cause I've seen them a great deal of times as, as well. And he, he does such a good job of telling stories between songs. Oh, um, master. Yeah. He's a, he's my favorite and he's my favorite lyricist of all time. Oh God, his lyrics are amazing. Dude. I mean, he used to play these songs to, to like 15 people in at, at my open mic and I'd be crying. Like yeah, he would man. play a song about Grendel's mother, like from the perspective right. of, Grendel, he has a song called Grendel's Mother about Beowulf, you know, kills Grendel. And this, the story is from Grendel's mother's perspective after Beowulf has killed Grendel and how she's saying she's going to get her revenge. And she says, I'm going to carry you home in my teeth. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to beat a path to the castle. I come naked and alone. I laid my son on the pyre. I burned the wreath, you know, fire overhead, water underneath. You can stand up and you can run, but you and I both know what you've done. It's, and, and she's, this is like a mother. And it's like he would do this and people would laugh, you know, because he would write a song like his song, like, I hear you moving in the kitchen. I hear you sharpening your claws. I hear you polishing your teeth sometimes, but I don't mind. I hear you out in the garage. I hear you messing with the motor. I noticed when you leave the gas jets on sometimes, but I don't mind. Like these, And people would laugh and I wouldn't laugh. I'd be like, this is the great, <laughs> I mean, this <laughs> is like fucking killing me, you know? And it's like, and, and that was his power and he could, he, he's super articulate. So it's like watching someone slice 
something with a razor blade, like with just incredible precision when he speaks and when he writes. It's awesome. Yeah. I went, I actually went and saw them all three shows when they did that three show noise pop thing. Oh yeah. It was. Swedish American or at the, yeah. Yeah. They, they did Swedish American. They did, which was just him and the bass player. Then they did the other two with, um, with what's his name from um, Super Chunk playing drums, who still plays drums. John, yeah, John, John Worcester, yeah. yeah, crushing it at every show because that guy is yeah, ridiculous. He's the best, yeah. He's a he's like a living metronome. Um, but they uh, every show was different. I mean, they did Bottom of the Hill, Swedish, and I think the Independent on that little. And actually, we we got to open for them when they played a noise pop show at, at Bimbo's when I was in a in a band years ago. And oh, that's dope. And they just, he's so like, and he, I, I would say like, oh, th- that that's an act on stage, but he was the same way backstage. He comes in and he's like, he pulls out his custom made earplugs and he looks at my bandmate and I, and he goes, do not forget to wear ear protection, gentlemen, because it's one of the most <laughs> precious things you have is your hearing. And he says it and his delivery is so perfect. I felt like, holy shit, I better go get earplugs. You know, like he's yeah. just got kind of that way about him. But it was uh, yeah, he's infectious. Yeah, infectious yeah. person. It's uh, they're they're a great band. So, so what? How did you kind of get to where you are now? Because I mean, there, that's a huge difference flying to the East Coast and doing coffee shops, and then all of a sudden you've got a platinum record, and you know you're touring and opening for some of the biggest acts in the world. I mean, just bluntly, like you you've done some huge, huge tours. Yeah, it like, was funny. It, I, it all, I kind of, it all goes down. There's a, there was a label, an indie label in Chicago called Aware, mm-hmm. and they used to put out compilations. And I was on a compilation with Howie Day and John Mayer, and I played a show with them at the House of Blues uh, in the summer of whatever 2000, right before Mayer broke. Because then I went on tour with Mayer. Um, after that. And then I went on tour with Howie after that. And that was really the moment where I played the house of blues. And instead of like winning, trying to win the crowd over piece by piece and like a John Doe show. And I would open at bimbo's a lot. Michael at bimbo's would put me opening for anybody who didn't have a, didn't have an opening act. Mm -hmm. And then I would play the upstairs at the Fillmore. I would do all sorts of like local stuff, but playing with mayor and Howie at the time, all of a sudden I realized like, I remember playing that show and being like, Oh my God, these are the people that like this kind of music that I make. And I was like, <laughs> it was, it was a really, it was like, again, another weight lifted moment. Yeah. Where I was like, I think I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life opening for people whose fans don't like me and like winning people over one fucking kernel at a time. And then I played the house of blues with mayor and Howie. And I was like, Holy shit, this was easy. Like, People, like I played a song and I sang a thing and everyone responded and all they bought all my merch and I was like, oh my god, this is a crowd. I who knew? And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. I think that was because that was just my community and I fought that for a really long time by going then on tour making records that maybe did because I love music so much that the last thing I want is for someone to say I fit into a category right like John Mayer. You know what I mean? And no, no flies on mayor, but it's like, and he did a great job of building a community and then building the community around himself. He did it really well. But for me, I was never into that kind of music. And all of a sudden people in that scene loved my music. And whether it was because I hated myself or I just genuinely wasn't super into it, male singer songwriter music is not really my thing. And so 
all of a sudden I was like, well, fuck this. I'm going to make a record that sounds like, and I tried as everything I could to, and, and it, the, the joke about creativity is when you try hard to, when you kick against what you are, like in life, you just end up not only super unsatisfied, but you end up not really genuinely reflecting who you are. For and sure. so I made a bunch of records that had moments that were me. And then a lot of moments where I was like wearing an ugly hat, you know, like the, you know, if you close being sort of the metaphor, it's like, I'd put on a hat and I'd be like, this hat looks great. And I'd walk out and it definitely did. I didn't wear it well. I didn't wear it confidently or I'd, you know, or I'd wear the jacket, you know, I'd, I'd try and put on everybody else's. I'd be like, I want, I'm, I love the Afghan wigs. I want to make a record like the Afghan wigs or I love, you know, I, everything short of making a metal record. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It was like, and and what ended up happening was all the records kind of had this sort of like, meh, because they never picked a side. They never picked a thing. They tried hard to just be a bunch of stuff. And it's like, and, but over the course of time, people gravitated and, and that, and liked the records. So I, I never. They tell a story, right? I mean, that's so interesting to me that they tell the story of you kind of battling this, not wanting to be put in that box. Yeah. Yeah. That's the beauty of being an artist, right? As yeah. you guys, it's like you, everybody goes through this evolution as a human, but when you're an artist, you have these markers that like a painting or a poem or whatever that really defines how you were ill-equipped at the time to, to make. And that's why art is so great. And so, yeah, I, I went through all the same stuff. Oh, that's my crazy phone. Listen to that. Um, how loud is that when that rings? We can hear it. <laughs> it's incredible. Oh, I love it. Right? It's kind of spooky with the old phone. It totally is. Oh, it stopped ringing. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so <laughs> that's the beauty of, of art as being an artist is that my... And that's what you want, I guess. When I die, I don't want, you can't get perfections an illusion and right. getting something right is an illusion. And so it's all just leading towards my death and I might as well evolve in that. Process. Right. It's kind of like I look at uh, when I was in high school, I was a skater, but I wasn't really, I was a poser. I didn't really skate. I just had like the skateboard and stuff. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, is like for a long time, I kind of looked back on that, like, dude, what were you doing? But that is in its own way, a genuine reflection of who I was. Yes. At the time. You know, yes. like, yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I just, you know, you, you, it's, it's amazing to me because the trajectory of your, of your, of your career in music is similar to a lot of other musicians, but then just like, it, it's like you kind of found yourself at some point and realized that there was a bunch of people out there that loved what you were doing. Like, like I said, I've seen you a bunch of times and your fans are, are insanely like, gracious and grateful and love coming to see you and you have a rapport with them that most artists don't because it doesn't feel like even though there's a stage it doesn't feel like there's a stage you know there's sort of like this not so much of a barrier but and that's like for me that's such a punk ethos like i can't even it's so funny to me like i'm like everything about sort of how you perform too i mean even the even the 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 wheel that you were using on the that that oh yeah 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 acoustic shows where so and to set this up josh one for people that don't know matt they they matt has like a giant like one of those like um wheels that you see at like a a, a fair or an event where you spin it and you land on a prize uh-huh. but the prize for him is a song 
and oh. and so he puts a bunch of different songs on this wheel and spins it, and whatever it lands on, they play. Which That's cool. If you think about it, how many spots are on that? Are on those things like thirty? Yeah, thirty something. I stole the idea from Elvis Costello just to be totally transparent. He yeah, is the but, king of the wheel. But yeah, yeah. But, but so I mean, you, you, you know, know thirty songs. songs. Yeah. Well, so, so I have a big book of all my. Because what happened was, is you'd play a show, and and I've had a couple like so I've had a, a handful of songs that people really know from the radio or whatever, and and when you play a set, inevitably somebody's pissed um, because you didn't play some random song that they love. And so I decided when we did these smaller, we decided to go out and do smaller shows um, when I, last couple tours, last couple albums. So we do like kind of a big summer thing and then we do these smaller acoustic things. And I thought, well, let's do the Elvis Costello thing and put all the old songs on the wheel. And that way, whatever the wheel picks, people can't be pissed off and they might get what they want, but there's a one in 35 chance that, you know, that they will. And <laughs> it's like, you, right? yeah, I yeah. Mean, and, and that's what I always say. It's like, dude, you can be as pissed as you want, but it's fucking fate. That's like, that's yeah, steering fate. the chip tonight. And so, but you'd end up playing songs that you never play and it's kind of fun. And, and you do it like five times during a set. So this, you can structure the set. And then there's these little moments where you spin and play some song that I wrote, like in my college dorm room that, one person is always being like, why don't you play that song? And it's like, <laughs> you know, and so we, yeah, we did it. And it's like, it's funny you say the punk rock thing to me. I really genuinely, as much as I am disappointed in humans, like we talked about at the beginning of this thing, yes. which I have to work through. I really do not see a difference between myself and the people that come to the shows because right. it just, there isn't. And yeah. so it's like, Though, I, I mean, obviously there's a difference. These folks have paid, they're coming. But it's like, to me, it's like if somebody wants my time or if somebody wants, it's like I, when I met, when I was a kid, Tracy Chapman, um, I was at a, I was in Boston and she was at a, she was at a music store in Massachusetts and I saw her and I wanted to go over and say hi. And her person that was with her was like, told me that I couldn't. And she was like four feet away from me. And I said, well, I just want to say, hi, I'm a huge fan of Tracy Chapman. I saw her open for the 10,000 Maniacs. I'm going to go see her at Symphony Hall. And she's like, I'll tell her. And I said, well, she's right there. Like I could just walk over and tell her. And, and the woman said, I'll tell her. And I remember thinking to myself, well, Tracy Chapman definitely heard me. I was definitely not like super douchey. I was just kind of excited. And I was like, if I ever get to a situation where I'm even touching the 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 hem of Tracy Chapman's career. Like if I ever have something where anybody wants to hang with me, I'm never going to be a fucking dick. And that, that was really like the moment where I was like, that's just it. I'm not, I'm never going to not be cool to somebody. It doesn't mean like if somebody is overbearing and, or an asshole, I'm definitely going to tell someone to fuck themselves. You know, like I have no trouble drawing my boundaries, but when it comes to somebody wanting to hang or wanting a thing, it's like, Man, yeah, of course. That's what that treat others the way you would want to be treated, and that was really the Tracy. I I thank Tracy Chapman not only for one of the greatest debut albums of all time, but mm. for kind of changing <laughs> my my view well, on like how to be. Well, and I can say from experience that is who you are. Like, there's never been a time that I've seen you out in in public, or especially after a show. You're very good about giving people your time, which. You know, also in other ways, like you got back from tour a couple of years ago and you basically had two days off before your next, your next, uh, leg of that tour. And you and Paul hopped in a truck and drove supplies up to, to, up to Sonoma County for the Tubbs fire, uh, victims. And 
you know, it's so rare to find people in music that, and I know you're not going to blow your own home. That's not how you are, but it's rare to find people in music that have reached a certain level of success that, I mean, there's a lot of great people in music, don't get me wrong, but that have reached a certain level of success, success where they just do things out of the kindness of their heart. Like that, it wasn't like you were like Instagramming your trip to, you know, the drop-off point, like Paul and I took care of that for you, but you know, it's like you did it out of the kindness of your heart. And I think that's the feeling when I talk about that feeling at the shows, it's like, that's, you do it. You you may not love connecting with people, but you, you're good at it when, when you're, when you're there. And if you obviously doing it on on your own terms, people react to that, you know? And yeah. And just to toot your horn, like I look to you often to sort of help guide me in this, in that way where I'll sort of be like, Hey, like the other day we did the live stream and I was like, Hey, I need some info. What do you think of this, 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 and this? And you say, Oh, this is the place to give your, you're just sort of like true North in this respect. And so it's like, you know, if you say, Hey, I need somebody. Or if Paul says, Hey, I need somebody. I'm going to, of course I'm going to jump at that. And it's like, and, and because I think I really do like, connecting with humans again it's got to kind of be on my own terms and uh, it's got to be genuine like i can't right. well i can't i've never gone to a party in my life i don't drink i don't do drugs i can't <laughs> i can't do small talk it fucking a lot of people who have trouble who, who want who who want genuine conversations are, are like that right like yeah. they don't want to chit chat they don't want to just bullshit yeah yeah because it's like and if i do chit chat with somebody at the at the fucking at, you know, as I'm checking out of the grocery store, I want to like really connect with, I don't yeah, want to yeah, like yeah. be like, duh, duh, duh. I'll be like, Hey, I love your earrings. If I love their earrings, you know what I mean? And <laughs> totally. then it's like, so, so yeah, I try and just come from a, it's, it is self-focused. Like don't, right. don't mistake it for, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, there's no altruism in me, but I, but I do it because it generates a, a feeling inside of me. That's like, that makes me feel rooted in the universe and makes me feel psyched to be alive and that is all i'm looking for you know every day that i wake up how so now we're we're in this like you know obviously we're in a very strange time we're in this shelter in place situation and you know moving away from music a little bit you're you've told both me and crowds of people amazing funny stories about your daughter how she how she holding up during all this yeah she's great we're we we do our best to not have any drama around this thing Um, because we can deal with the facts and we can deal with that stuff, but we don't want to uproot her particular, you know, she's so young, like, you know, it's like, she's, she's capable of handling quite a bit, but emotionally she's still like intellectually, she can handle a lot. Emotionally, she's still very much a nine-year-old. And so it's our job to present information to her in a way where this doesn't feel all that different, you know? Um, even though she's doing school from home and she's social distanced from all her friends. Um, and so that's just part of the job of being a parent. And, and, and we take that, you know, I, I, we didn't have a kid until we knew we could have a kid because we know that it's a job that we wanted to do right. Right. And, uh, and so that's part of it. It's kind of like, she's holding up great, you know, definitely like, man, she's a mercurial power fucking powerhouse. And it's like, it's like she feels everything in a way that reminds me of myself. And at the same time, feels like a nuclear version of myself. So my wife is really the one who does the great job of keeping a balance going in this house. And, uh, and she has then taught me sort of how to be, be how to do the same. So it's been good. Yeah. How have you been handling it too? You guys both, Joshua, do you have kids? 
I don't. I have a wife and two cats. So no, dude. Nice. We have okay. two cats and a dog. And so if you ever want that, we feel that. But uh, <laughs> Kevin, how are you doing with, with it? So Caitlin is at her mom's, which is unfortunate. So we've been apart for a couple of weeks. Um, oh, that sucks. We're trying to work that out. And you've, I think you've met her. She's the older you know, the, yeah. Oh yeah. She's, she rules, uh, yeah. She, she's, we talk every day on, on FaceTime and she's kind of reviewing her. She's got a lot of schoolwork. So, um, she's, you know, I'm helping her with that. I print out the packet for her every week and her mom comes and picks it up, which is nice. Um, and then, uh, right. Quinn, my younger son is he's borderline terrorist. I mean, he's like, you know, <laughs> like the couch is essentially a fort. Most of the day he gets bored with it. He wants us to clean it up. And as soon as we clean it up, he sets it up again. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And he threw all of his food on the floor to this morning, and um, <laughs> he's yeah. terrorizing. He's terrorizing the dogs. <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, it's it's you know, it is what it is. Like, my, um, there's an unfair burden on my wife right now, so I'm I'm gonna try to like change the schedule a little bit next week. Now that we're at Friday again, and and you know, because we're still operating as a business, right? And she is she works for Salesforce, so she's she's busy as hell too. So you know, it's it's. We're, we get along really well. That's the good news. Yeah. And um, so having that basis of like a really strong friendship, I think in a situation like this helps. I know you have a really strong friendship with your wife as well. So it's like, you understand that. I mean, it's, yeah. it makes things so much easier and, and also the respect, right? I mean, when you respect the person you're with and they're, they're like working their ass off, you want to like, I want to help. You know? Oh God, I feel awful for people that are trapped in houses with people they don't like. Oh, you know? dude, think about like people my wife is yeah. my best friend. Like she's great. Like we love hanging out, so it's all good. Think about people who are in abusive relationships. Think about people oh. who have roommates that can't. People who can't afford to. I mean, like that's what this the the virus mm. is so. I mean, it's obviously bad on many levels, but the thing that it really affects is people who've all who society always overlooks. <laughs> and it's yeah, like right. you know totally. it, it's like and that's what really sucks about it um well and that's why we're doing this like you know this season basically we're trying to get people to donate to as you did hospitality house here because they're doing this work every single day and they're doing it to people that are like basically on the margins right that are completely for the most part forgotten about and so you've got you know, people who are living on the street with mental health issues and substance abuse issues who have been estranged from their families. Um, and um, so we're, we've got a, a Patreon account. So every, everyone that subscribes to that during this season, we're basically going to just hand that over to Hospitality House. And, you know, we're encouraging people to make direct donations to them because it's, it's a really, it's a hard time for everybody. Any donations, any Patreons till the end of the year. Yeah. With, yeah. Essentially. Oh, so, yeah. So, you know, it's a hard time as it is, but when you've already got like nonprofits working in the trenches that are, their budgets are basically dependent on, 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 you know, the kindness of others. It's like, then we, cause we've got all kinds of other people in financial trouble right now. It's a, just a totally different thing. So I saw you play at Rachel Ray's uh, barbecue one year at South by Southwest. Oh my God. She's and, awesome, um, by the way. Rachel Ray is super, super She dope. is fantastic. And um, I brought a couple of friends. And th- one of the guys was like, oh, yeah, I want to go see I want to go see Matt with you. You know, he's and he's from he's from Boston. Oh, yeah. And um, of course, Matt, you pick him out out of the entire. There's like, I don't even <laughs> know how many people were there. It was packed. There was like yeah. a ton of people there. And he's standing all the way in this ba- in the back, this big, bald guy, huge beard, you know, black belt in jujitsu. And, and Matt goes, nice 
Boston sweatshirt, like during the set. <laughs> so I was paused with "fuck you, Matt," and uh, and 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 of course, Matt's like, "Yeah, there's a mass hole right there." It's, it's just like you like picked him out. I don't, I don't know how in the hell out of all. I mean, there was so many people there. I mean, it was like, dude. and you picked this one dude out that's standing all the way in the back in a Red Sox sweatshirt. Yeah, the compulsive in me can't help it. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's I, it, I'm so glad that I didn't give him shit for like not clapping or something. That's my move too, is like, as I get older, I'm getting better at, but I'm compulsive and I also am an external processor. So I can say exactly how I feel exactly when it's happening. And it's not, that's not the way to do it sometimes. So, you know, um, that's, <laughs> I'm glad that I just yeah, talked about a sweatshirt. That's great. But yeah, it was yeah. Funny. Th- that's the stand up comedy part too. That's fun is like, the audience is so important in the, for me in, in, in every part of it. It's like the energy that gets sent back up on stage is, is crucial. The uh, banter between people watching reactions, getting people to get either pissed off or not pissed off or laughing or whatever. It's like, that's a, such a great way. It just brings the unknown factor into the performance and it makes it way more exciting for me. Um, and then consequently it's more exciting for the people in the audience most of the time, unless I go off, tell someone to shut the fuck up or whatever, (laughs) or get into a fight with us, you know, whoever, but like that doesn't happen as much anymore as I, when I had a kid, I stopped getting into fights and stopped being an asshole by mistake, you know, but yeah, my kid, uh, yeah, dude, my kid is like a, she said, just to circle back to something she said this morning, I was talking to her and I was writing about Bill Withers who passed and I, and I wanted my wife to check my tweet because I was getting ready to send it. And I was like, Hey, I'm having trouble articulating this. And I read the tweet and I got kind of a little bit, um, I started to sort of tear up a little mm-hmm. and my kid gets super bummed about that. And she was like, Oh, and she went over and started to get her breakfast together. And I said, dude, you should be psyched that you're your dad can embrace the feminine and the masculine parts of himself. Like, cause it, this is not something that happened with my parents or their parents. And it's like, you're living in a time where humans can really, it's like, it's not yet encouraged entirely, obviously, but like, this is the thing. And, and, and she changes the subject and she goes, well, I just want you to know that I looked up the F word in Spanish <laughs> and she goes, uh, and there's a feminine and a masculine for that. <laughs> And I was yeah. like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I was like, who, who are you? Like, who the fuck? And so anyway, so that's what we're dealing with. It's like every day she's throwing shit like out at, at me about the, you know, the, uh, I mean, oh God. So yeah, I'm ready for, I'm ready for quarantine to be over. <laughs> on that note the touring uh, the touring stuff so hey i want to i just want to throw one other thing out there and i i uh, you know matt mentioned that i that i act like his true north around certain things but there was a uh, back in i think it was like 2014 or so we were we were still working together on merchandise and you got involved with starkey hearing foundation oh yeah and we got to do this awesome shirt with headphones um, that we did as a benefit for them. We, we collaborated with you on that. And so, you know, do, are you still involved with them? I mean, that, like that, that was hugely like amazing campaign. They do incredible work. Well, I haven't, uh, so I'm still in touch with them and we still are planning on doing something else, but things just, uh, the way that it works is time. I'm always in contact with them, um, because they just do incredible work. And uh, what they do, for those who don't know, is that it's Starkey is a hearing aid uh, manufacturer, and what they but what the, there's a philanthropy side, um, 
that the that they do that's incredible where they just travel constantly and they give free uh hearing aids out to people who can't afford them and then they give maintenance to those people and they come back every year so i did a a a couple days with them in peru and they uh and they just go all over the world and donate their time and it's incredible and so uh, yeah that was a pretty magical again when you see humans working together and and uh and doing the right thing it's and helping people who can't help themselves that's a it definitely is it lights up all my buttons it's like it's the thing it's it's really like humans at their finest um besides art which i also think is humans at their finest but like when yeah. humans are helping those who can't help themselves in or who are marginalized or who can't get a leg up i just think that kind of stuff is is everything like um and the starkey hearing foundation was a huge moment for me of realizing how that, how that can work really well. Yeah. Well, and that's, uh, I think that's the, one of the most important things about um, when people get any notoriety or, or fame is that they, you know, sort of clear out a little space to do some cool stuff and, and, you know, just, just even like throwing out hospitality house during a live cast is such a huge deal to such a small nonprofit. I just, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not like here to, to pat each other on the back, but I just really like, it means a lot to me personally. So I just wanted to throw that out there during the, no, man, well, you're, you're great. So yeah, you, you, anything you ever ask me to do, I'll do it. And then I always go to you for that kind of stuff just because it's you guys stop it. Get over um, here, get over here and don't, we're we're, we're super dangerously close to an hour, which is generally a little over time for us, but you know, so you've, you're working on a new record. When, when do you expect you to be able to get that thing produced? And and I don't don't know. That's kind of the fun of now. I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. Uh, It's like, you know, we've got a bunch of stuff in the pipeline and I don't know how it's all going to roll out. So I think we're just going to finish it and then get it mixed, hopefully all kind of remotely and then see where we're at, but, uh, and just start writing the next one. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's exciting though. Oh yeah. It's fun to, it's fun to, it's like, it's just, it's the most fun you can have. It's like, uh, you know, being able to do that and throw paint around and get better at it. That was the one thing I wanted to circle back to. It's this idea that like you and uh, this will be like, like, I don't think, I think every year I'm trying to shed a layer of stuff that got painted on, you know, like when you're a kid, mm-hmm. you're like this sort of wide open conduit of kind of empathy and, and dialed into the universe and all that stuff. And then as you get older, it's not really your parents' fault, but it is your parents' fault. They kind you kind of get, and, and the, and, and experiences slam you shut and kind of paint you closed. And right. so like, what I've been trying to do every year until I die is like peel another layer off and the record, the songs continue to sort of get a little bit closer to that as well. And so it's like, I kind of feel like by the time I die at 80, 90 or whatever, hopefully that I'll sort of like be as close to back to the way I was at the start. And that's really all I'm trying to do in my life is like peel back the shit that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's a perfect ending. Mm-hmm. So, us. yeah, us. <laughs> I could, you know, I literally could talk to you all day long. You know this, so um, I know you guys rule for having me on. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for coming on, yeah. and thanks everyone for listening. Uh, patreoncom slash well uh, Anything? Nathanson.com. What was our deal? We just decided this. Hospitality House. Yes. Any any Patreon uh, money till the end of the year goes to Hospitality House. 
and stay safe out there. Uh, have fun. Yeah.